pilgrims. It's time for your favorite world-traveling, Bible-toting, soul-winning, Satan-hating, tried, tested, and triumphant host, Pastor A.J. Harold. Just a quick reminder to not be weary in well-doing, for as peculiar pilgrims, we're just watching, waiting, and working. Buckle up, and let's ride. My family and I have volunteered at Emmanuel Baptist Rescue Mission located on Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles for many years now. This mission is a place that feeds many, many homeless men, women, and teenagers three meals a day. And before each meal, the mission holds a gospel service full of hymn singing and ends with an invitation giving these homeless folks an opportunity to trust Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. They preach the word, Jesus is high and lifted up, and again, an invitation ends every service with an opportunity allowing these folks to be born again. What a blessing it is to serve there through the years. And right next to the mission, there used to be a business, and the title of that business was called Five Loaves and Two Fish. I imagine it existed for the purpose of feeding the homeless who slept on the streets of downtown Los Angeles. John chapter 6 verses 5 through 13 says this, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread, that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the man sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the man sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. So obviously this company that was next to Emmanuel Baptist Rescue Mission in downtown LA on Skid Row, this company that was next to it had the name five loaves and two fish from this text, no doubt. Now, in the late 1800s, one cold, stormy winter evening in Canada, there was a bachelor by the name of Fred Suffield. He was living in a very small cabin in the uh, Canadian wilderness, and what he was doing on this particular cold, stormy winter night 
is he was riding out a snowstorm when a frantic knocking at his door disturbed him. Answering the door, he found a man chilled to the bone. After inviting him in, the man explained that he was from a train that had stalled just a few miles away and there was passengers still in danger of freezing to death in the train. So this man who knocked on Fred's door asked him if he would be willing to provide shelter. Of course, Fred consented and they hurried with the man, he hurried to the site of the train. Fred crowded the passengers into his modest home and provided hospitality as best he could until the blizzard passed and they could get the train moving again. Well, later, as the story would have it, one of the passengers, a young lady by the name of Kitty, wrote him a gracious thank you letter. Fred replied, Kitty wrote back, and romance developed out of this small act of just becoming a pen pal out of a simple thank you letter that Kitty wrote to Fred, literally for saving their lives. And so later on, they got married. And, and after that, the couple moved to Ottawa there in Canada. They got saved and they began attending a local church. As they matured in their faith, they began an evangelic, uh, uh, evangel excuse me, evangelistic ministry. One summer, they invited their pastor's son, his name was George, to join them in Westport, Ontario. And so they were going to a meeting, and when they got there, while they were holding the meeting, they were going to be there for about a month. One evening, Kitty was playing the piano, and she heard something special in the young man's voice, in the pastor's son's voice, or his, yes, his name is George. Now, she asked him to sing alone. He really didn't want to, but she persuaded him. His voice broke on the higher notes, and he was mortified. I mean, he didn't think very much of his own voice, and he didn't think that he was a very good singer at all, let alone a soloist. But Kitty worked with him, and she encouraged him to sing in a lower key. Over time, he developed a very rich baritone voice and found his confidence strong enough to sing in front of his church. That young man, his name, yes, I already told you it was George, but maybe you know him by his entire name. George Beverly Shea. He had the title America's Beloved Gospel Singer. He also joined Billy Graham, uh, the ministries of Billy Graham back in 1947, and he served with him until his death later in 2013. By the way, George Beverly Shea lived to the ripe age of 104. Now, it has been said that George Beverly Shea, that he has sung before more people than any other person in history. So, Kitty Louise Bennett Suffield, who was born on September 16th in 1884 in New York City, New York, 
with her husband, Fred Suffield, who later became an evangelist and a minister of the gospel. And again, they traveled together around America preaching the word, and they strive together to be a help and a blessing to each congregation that they had the privilege of ministering to. Kitty and Fred together would serve all over the country. Fred would preach and Kitty would help in those meetings through her music ministry and was a huge help and blessing to her husband who preached even hotter messages as a result of being stirred up by his wife's tremendous musical talents. Although she wrote several songs, her most well-known song is entitled, Little is Much When God is in It. And it was written as a result of that little boy giving his little lunch to Jesus. Five loaves and two fish. Kitty died in 1972. It was nine years after her beloved husband had passed away, but Thankfully, before she passed, she left us with this wonderful hymn entitled, Little is Much When God is in It. Here are the words to the song. I'm going to start with the chorus. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. A friend of mine earlier this week posted a quote that I noticed on social media. The quote is this, The mark of an effective church is not how many people come, but how many people live differently as a result of having been there. If you, pilgrim, are part of a little church, or even if you're part of a big church, be all that God wants you to be, and let the word of God lead you to become a difference maker for someone else. You must remember that little is much when God is in it. Now, this song emphasizes the need for all Christians to be doing what they can for the Lord. I wish I had time to unpack all of my thoughts with the remaining time that we have left in this week's episode, but I do want you to think about Moses at that burning bush, and God asks Moses, when Moses says, you know, not me, I can't do it, God says, what's in your hand? And Moses is like, this staff, this rod? God simply was saying, Moses, I will use what you have to do what only I can do through you. Little is much when God is in it. Now, these notes that I have after each stanza, I learned in my study and preparation that I'd like to share with you. But these notes are not original to me, nor is the song for that matter. But I want to give you each stanza, and I want to give you a few thoughts just from some notes that I gathered in my study this week. So here we go. Stanza one. Stanza one tells us to labor in the harvest. Here are the words. In the harvest field now ripened, there's a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest, calling you. Again, stanza one tells us to labor in the harvest. Jesus said that the harvest is ripe in John chapter four. There is a work for all of us to do. Matthew 21 talks about that. 
Jesus calls us to labor in the harvest. Matthew chapter 9 talks about that. And so stanza 1 tells us to labor in the harvest. The song continues with stanza 2, which tells us to share God's love and mercy. In the mad rush of the broad way, in the hurry and the strife, tell of Jesus' love and mercy. Give to them the word of life. Again, stanza 2 tells us to share God's love and mercy. Many are hurrying down the mad rush of the broad way. They need to be told of Jesus' love and mercy as well. And we can do this by giving them the word of life and preaching the gospel. But we have to understand that little is much when God is in it. Stanza 3 tells us to continue working even in obscurity. Does the place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? It is great if God is in it and he'll not forget his own. Now, this stanza, stanza three, which tells us to continue working even in obscurity. This stanza tells us that all of us are called to labor for the Lord in some way or another. You can look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58 for that. Sometimes we may labor in a place that is small and little known, but even there, Christ has promised to be with us. Again, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. By the way, God is not unrighteous to forget our labor, whether it be great or whether it be small. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 talks about that. God's in control. He's not going to forget your labor of love, wherever it may be. Stanza 4. Stanza 4 tells us to pray even when we cannot do anything else. Often we think, you know, all I can do is pray for them. Shame on you for taking that approach. Shame on you. All you can do is pray for them. You know what prayer is? It is us casting our burden to God and asking God to move on our behalf and really on his own behalf and to do what only he can do. So stanza four tells us to pray even when we cannot do anything else. Are you laid aside from service? Do you look back in your life and say, you know, I used to be able to do this. I used to be able to do that. But today I'm laid aside from service body worn from toil and care, you can still be in the battle in the sacred place of prayer. I've been praying for Pastor R.B. Roulette. He had cancer in his throat and they had to remove his voice box. Here's a man of God who has preached powerfully for decades. Now for the rest of his life, he is not going to be able to speak a word. He's laid aside from service. His body is worn from toil and care. But you know what? 
I believe he's going to continue to let his light so shine before men that they may see his good works and give him a pat on the back. No, no, no. They're going to see his good works, his example, and they're going to glorify his father, which art in heaven. You can still be in the battle. Doesn't matter what age or stage of life, what season you're going through, you can still be in the battle in the sacred place of prayer. Sometimes we are laid aside from service because our bodies are worn from toil and care. As we grow older, I mean, Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 5 addresses that. We, we do grow older. There is a season to these things. However, we must not forget that there is still a battle raging in the spiritual realm. Think about Ephesians 6, putting on our whole armor of God. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. There's still a battle raging. So if we cannot do anything else, we can still enter in that sacred place of prayer. Ephesians 6 continues in verses 18 through 20, telling us to continue. Yes, we've got our armor on, but we go in prayer. Are you laid aside from service? Body worn from toil and care? You can still be in the battle in the sacred place of prayer. Now, stanza five is the last stanza. Stanza five tells us to be looking forward to the reward of our labor. When the conflict here is ended and our race on earth is run, he will say, if we are faithful, welcome home, my child well done. Someday, for each of us peculiar pilgrims who are faithfully enduring the race, like hardness, the Bible says, enduring hardness as a good soldier, Someday for each of us, our conflict here will be ended in death when our race has been run. We need to be faithful in our labor and service to the Lord. Now, I'm looking for that blessed hope. I'm like, even so, come quickly. I would love to, if you will, cheat death by going in the rapture. That would be awesome. But regardless, when I go, whether it be through the rapture or through death, I would love to hear him say, welcome home, my child, well done. The chorus reminds me, and it should remind you of God's blessing, even on those who serve in seemingly little places. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Obviously, the greater the talents and opportunities that a person has, the more God expects of him. However, even if we have few talents and few opportunities, the Lord still expects us to use what we have and promises that little is much when God is in it. Moses, what is that in thine hand? Oh no, the train, it's not working. We're in a blizzard. Somebody volunteers to go get help, finds a little modest place, slams and bangs on the door, meets a man named Fred who invites the entire uh, uh, the passengers from that train to come in. They weather the storm. Kitty decides to write a letter. I mean, although she passed in 1972, 
she still is impacting services and saints all over America and even the world. I remember singing this song when we were living in England, when I was stationed there uh, several years ago. And now our church, it regularly sings, uh, sings this song as we are in Los Angeles. What an impact Kitty still is even having after her death. All because Fred showed a little kindness to a few folks who were stranded during a snowstorm. And because Kitty wrote a simple thank you note, that note sparked a friendship. It kindled a fire and eventually marital relationship was spawned that has impacted the Christian world today. Pilgrims, stay faithful even in the little things and never, wait just a minute, <laughs> I am done almost. You faithful, peculiar pilgrims, I did not forget about our second ever giveaway. I wanted to share with you the names of our three winners. In no particular order, here they are. Peculiar Pilgrim Courtney C., Peculiar Pilgrim Luke D., and lastly, Peculiar Pilgrim Kenny C. I'll be reaching out to you through the email that you sent to me. I'm going to get your mailing address, and I'll be sending you your very own copy of Kingdom Power by Prayer and Fasting by my dear friend, Pastor Jerry Scheidbach. I hope you will enjoy. I hope you understand that little is much when God is in it. I am so thankful that I have the privilege of being where I am at in a very large city, Los Angeles, in a very small church with a small little impact. Yet I understand that little is much when God is in it. You winners, Courtney, Luke, Kenny, I'd encourage you to enjoy that book and never let up. Thank you for listening, and I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends and family. We would not exist if it were not for pilgrims just like you. If you'd like to donate to help us with the cost of these productions, use Cash App at Peculiar Pilgrims, and you won't regret it. Also, you can email us anytime with your compliments, complaints, critiques, and even criticism at peculiarpilgrimspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, fellow pilgrims, never let up.